Podcastle, episode 468 from May 1st, 2017. Sigrid Under the Mountain by Charlotte Ashley. Rated PG-13. from the Flying Castle. I'm assistant editor Setsu Uzume, and I have what I hope will be a relatable tale for you today. Sigrid Under the Mountain by Charlotte Ashley. This story was originally published in the Sokta Lodger in 2015. Charlotte Ashley is a writer, editor, and bookseller living in Toronto, Canada. Her short fiction appears in a number of anthologies and magazines, including Year's Best Science Fiction and Fantasy 2017. She has been nominated for both the Aurora and Sunburst Awards, and once performed a story from the equipment of a CrossFit gym. You can find more about her at once-and-future.com or on Twitter at Charlotte Ashley. Nina Niskanen lives in Helsinki, Finland with her partner, a giant ridiculous dog, and a collection of books, movies, and video games to challenge a small library and enough wool to open a tiny yarn shop. She is a graduate of Viable Paradise and podcasts as one-third of the Mad Writers Union. Find her on Twitter at nniskanen. Grab your good boots and enjoy the story. Sigrid Under the Mountain by Charlotte Ashley After Essia produced sour milk three days in a row, Sigrid knew she had a problem. Leaving the pail of greenish milk next to her stool, she trudged off in the grey light of the early morning towards the barley field at the verge of the woods, the new field she had cleared only this spring. When your cow spoiled on the inside, she knew that only meant one thing, mischief. She found the door nestled in the mud between the last row of barley and the half-completed fence, Made of scavenged barrel boards and twine, it could have been mistaken for a junk heap if not for the flotilla of little footprints surrounding it. Sigrid lifted the arcless trap door a few inches, just to be sure, and was rewarded with the warm stench of burnt rabbit pellets. She dropped the door and staggered back. Cobalts. Augmund, Sigrid said to her husband that night after he'd come back from the pub, Ogmund, there's kobolds in the field. Might you not take some time tomorrow to clear them out before you leave for Norvgood? Kobolds? Ogmund turned his nose up disdainfully, half tripping over a stool. I don't have time for kobolds. Get Yord's boy to take care of them. What? Gron? Sigrid planted her hands on her narrow hips. You want me to send a boy down into a cobalt lair? He's a big boy and strong. Don't think he hasn't been in a fight or three. He should have a few likely friends to help him out. Ogmund started unbuckling and unslinging his many weapons. Offer him a bit of coin and see if he isn't down there before lunch tomorrow. Ogmund... Gron Jordson hasn't even got a stout knife to arm himself with. She looked pointedly at the great steel sword denting her kitchen table. His mother would tear off my scalp if he were to hurt himself. Couldn't you just do it? 
I'm bound for Prince Elfwinter's at first light, Sigrid, you know that. I've got bigger foes to face than kobolds. Ogmund stretched, took Sigrid by the shoulders and kissed the very top of her tawny head. Now come to bed with me, wife. I will need some memories to take with me across the Durkin Sea. Sigrid crossed her arms, refusing to return his embrace. No, I don't think I will, she said stubbornly. I've got bread to rise if I'm to eat anything tomorrow now the cow's upset. Ogman paused, then turned and ducked under the doorframe to her bedroom without saying anything. Sigurd snorted with frustration. What's the point of marrying a great celebrated hero if he won't even keep kobolds from harrying your cow, she thought, surveying the room. Her eyes alit on the satchel he'd brought back with him from Norvgood. Gems and jewels aplenty for her, for all the good they did. What I need is good milk from my cow. Sigurd sighed and turned her thoughts to young Gran Jordson. Gran Jordson was fifteen years old and as big as a bear. As Ogmund had predicted, he agreed to help Sigrid with her cobalt problem in exchange for ten bits of tin and a fresh loaf of bread. He'd enthusiastically raided her shed for equipment, taking with him a ball of twine, a dozen row pegs, and a hoe as well, with the promise he'd bring them back when he was through. Armed with her farming tools, Grand Jordson descended into the dark and fetid lair at mid-morning, and by sunset his parents were seated at her table, drinking barley wine by the jugful. Sigrid baked them bread and kept the lantern lit by the tunnel entrance, but as Jord and Egrid passed out just before sunrise the next morning, she had to admit she would never see her hoe again. She placed woolen blankets over their shoulders, left out the last of the milk, and snuck out at first light. Sigrid set out down the wooded path towards yonder hill, the tall keep built into the rocky foothills. It had been a good long time since she'd called on the sorceress there, but she and Groa had played together as girls, and Sigrid was sure Groa's time in Elfheim couldn't have changed her as much as folks said it had. She brought a loaf of bread and a jug of wine with her, and the satchel of jewels just in case. Groa, Sigrid called from the base of the high walls, circling the keep looking for a door. Groa, it's Sigrid Olafsdottir from down in the valley. Hello, dear, are you at home? Her voice seemed to get lost somewhere between her throat and the crow-lined crenulations of the wall, but she kept yelling. Groa, I've been walking all day and I can't go home just now. Be a dear and show me to the entrance, will you? A dozen crows suddenly took flight, reluctantly finding new perches now that their section of the smooth grey wall was dropping open on invisible hinges. Sigrid scrambled out of the way as the wall hit the gravelly earth with a bang and a cloud of dust. She was still coughing when a blonde woman, robed head to toe in red, stepped out onto the slab and regarded her curiously. Sigrid Olafsdottir, by my one good eye. Sigrid moved to meet the red woman, still coughing and waving away the dust in front of her face. Groa looked the same as ever, complete with two perfectly good eyes. 
The two women met with an embrace before Groa took Sigrid by the elbow and drew her towards the tower at the heart of the walled keep. Where have you been, my dear? I've been back for nearly a year now. Not very neighborly of you, is it now? Groa chided her, smiling toothily. Sigrid hung her head and squeezed the other woman's hand. I've been running the farm alone, Groa. You've no idea the work it takes. I've been through three farmhands in six months, and Ogman's no help at all. I wanted to come sooner. I really did. Sigrid stopped as a servant shambled past her, smelling oddly of spoiled meat, but Groa tugged her along. Three farmhands? Wherever do they go? Groa led her through a gated door carved so thoroughly with runes that it had the topography of porridge. Two were eaten by Root the Rugged before those fellows from the capital came to drown her, and the third simply went missing in the woods earlier this fall. Sigrid thought a flicker of recognition flew over Groa's face just then, but she didn't have anything else to contribute. So I'm sorry to say, I'm not just here to visit, Groa. I was hoping you might be able to help me with a thing. Groa raised an eyebrow as she led Sigrid into the most opulently appointed hall Sigrid had ever seen. Red and gold tapestries lined the walls and the floors, warmed with the extravagance of dozens of wall-mounted torches. The long table was still shiny and soft, the carving still smooth, and the paint unchipped. Being a sorceress must pay well, Sigrid marveled, though she did note that Groa's servants left a little to be desired. Slow-moving and rather smelly they were. Tell me all about it, Groa insisted, showing her to a chair. Sigrid produced wine and bread, and the two women settled in for an evening of talk. So it isn't that Ogmund isn't a very nice man, Sigrid found herself saying midway into the third bottle of wine. A better vintage, Groa told her, though it tasted like the bottom of a well. It's only that he's no good for anything. She cut herself another slice of bread and heaped butter on it, thick and fresh. He's ever off overseas killing dragons or ettins or whatever for all these great princes. But what good is that to us? Why can't he stay at home and deal with our problems? Why don't you go with him, dear? A man with his reputation, I'm sure you'd be staying in palaces from here to Katsan. Groa motioned for one of her smelly servers to fetch another bottle. Sigrid snorted dismissively. Then I'd just be abandoned amongst foreigners without even my chores to occupy me. No, the truth is, I rather prefer being a widow. I only wish Ogmund would stop coming home again. He gets underfoot. Sigrid laughed inappropriately and Groa joined her. Just like when we were girls, Sigrid thought. We were man-killers, both of us then, she remembered fondly. Groa's golden eyes twinkled with a familiar mischief. I could help you with that, Sigrid. Groa raised one eyebrow suggestively. It wouldn't take much to make you a free woman again. 
you and I, the times we used to have. We could find you a new man, one better equipped to serve your needs. Sigrid gasped. Groa, what are you saying, girl? No, don't say anything more. This isn't the kind of help I had in mind. Groa looked miffed and poured herself another cup of wine. More's the pity. I could make you the perfect partner if you really wanted. No, thank you, Sigrid said firmly. I only need some help with the kobolds, Groa shrugged. Sigurd, you know I love you, but I don't have time for trolls. Kobolds? Whatever. I've been slaving for months now, raising some help with the bigger problem of the Jarl. What? Jarl Eskerson, the man we pay our taxes to? Oh, Sigurd... You really shouldn't. That is a waste of your hard-earned coin. Well, it's rather the law, isn't it? The last thing I need is ruffians around the farm looking for tithes, Sigrid said with some surprise. Groa stood up abruptly, slopping her wine on the table. That's what I've raised the army for. Army? And that is why I don't have the time to go slumming down cobalt holes. Army? What army? You've raised an army so you don't have to pay taxes? Sigrid, you understand very little. Groa turned towards her fiercely, and for a moment the firelight cast such an odd shadow over her face that Sigrid wasn't quite sure Groa had two eyes after all. The Jarl is a horrible bully of a man, and when I'm through with him, no tyrant will ever dare take another penny from the lands of others. Sigrid opened her mouth to object to this misleading hyperbole, but something in the sharp angles of Groa's face made her think the better of it. She gulped down the last of her wine instead. Very well, Groa. You fight the Jarl, and I will go home and attend to the kobolds all by myself. Sigrid stood and tripped a little, trying to disentangle herself from the legs of the table. Oh, Sigrid, don't pout. Groa threw up her hands, spilling yet more wine. Stay the night. It's dark, and you're in no shape to go home. Sigrid hesitated, considering it. Really, you ought to stay longer. Groa looked as if she'd just remembered something. My army marches out this season. It's bound to be safer here. That was startling. The local lads wouldn't touch my farm, would they? Sigrid asked. I wouldn't know the Jarl if he came calling for tea. Groa looked evasive. My army, they aren't really local lads as such. Look, you really ought to just stay here. Sigrid set her mouth in a determined line. Groa, I really don't think I will. I have my cow to feed, the fields to tend, and now, apparently, kobolds to scare off on my own. In fact, I should be going now. I can see I have overstayed my welcome. Sigrid gathered her sweater and her walking stick from the table. I do hope you enjoy the jewels. I will visit again, perhaps. 
if I am not killed by the kobolds. As you wish. But you can't say I didn't warn you. Groa flopped down into her chair and took the last hunk of bread. One of the nair will see you out. Groa's shambling corpses only accompanied her as far as the outer wall. Sigurd staggered the rest of the way home in the moonless black alone. War. Kobold now felt the least of her worries. But that was always the way, wasn't it? Big people with big powers were ever mindless of what they trampled when they clashed with big trouble. No heed at all for humble people and their cows. Sigrid stood by the flimsy trapdoor with a fresh loaf under her arm and a bucket of not entirely sour milk in her hand. She took three deep, calming breaths and then lifted the door off the hole. Muddy earth rained down a steep slope into a dark tunnel. Hello, Sigrid called. I'm Sigrid Olafsdottir and I'm coming down now. She paused. I've brought some breakfast. The entrance didn't smell any less like sacrificed rabbits than last time, but as she descended into the darkness, the smell of mold and earthworms quickly choked out anything else. Sigrid inched along, mindful not to scrape her head on the roots overhead, heading cautiously toward a ruby light around the first bend of the tunnel. The tunnel grew more clean-cut the deeper she descended, and Sigrid noted with some satisfaction that the place was quite tidy, not strewn about with bones and rot as she'd feared. At least the kobolds were not complete animals. Hello? Sigrid called again. Is anyone at home? The dim light flickered as impish shadows sprang up on the tunnel walls, followed by the pitter-patter of quite a lot of feet. Sigrid tried to stand as tall as she could, her offerings clutched tight to her skirts. She affected a resolute expression, though her heart was racing with the knowledge that she could soon be hacked into tiny pieces by the underground folk. They came three abreast, as small as children dressed like an army of cookware. Red-faced and large-eyed, the creatures waved six sharp spears under her nose, threatening and jabbing at the air. Behind them, a fatter one in robes followed with a lantern. The fat one scowled terribly at her and chattered like a squirrel. I'm sorry I don't... Sigrid started saying and the spear-bearers began to snicker. Sigrid frowned and looked imploringly at the fat one, whose smirk suggested to her a clever mind. Come now, do try, she said. I've come in good faith. We know you, the fat one said with a clipped accent eyeing the milk with cunning. You the missus with the angry cow. Yes. Sigrid replied, I suppose I am. I am Sigrid Olafstotter, and I live over your heads. I am Chitkitan, the fat one said, then rhymed off a barrage of chirps to introduce the armed ones as well. Sigrid Olafstotter, 
What has made you come visit? We got nothing of yours. This last bit sounded defensive and Sigrid was quite sure she didn't believe it. But it didn't matter. She scuttled her suspicions and swallowed her pride. I want to say... I want to say... Sigurd held out the bucket of milk and loaf of bread. I'm sorry. Essia was upset and I wasn't very neighborly towards you. But you didn't hurt anyone until I sent... Until we barged into your home. That wasn't right. The big kobold looked very suspiciously at her, so Sigurd forged on. I see now we're all in this together, we little people, just trying to live. So I brought milk. I'm sorry. Chitkitan raised an eyebrow with surprise. Are you going to poison me? What? Sigurd answered quickly as the spears tickled her chin. No, of course not. Are you going to cut me to pieces? She countered. Chitkitan paused indecisively. No, she finally said. The forest of spears lowered as their bearers looked for instruction. Chitkitan beckoned with one hand. Okay, come. Maybe you take back that big meaty baby too. Meaty baby? Sigurd asked cautiously. Flanked by tiny clinking guards, she followed her host into the tunnels deep under the mountain, surprised by the familiar smells of baking and hearth fire ahead of her. In the red light of the cavernous hall, by an iron oven big enough for an ox, she saw poor Gran Jordson, peppered with moss-patched cuts and blubbering like an infant. Ah, Sigurd said. He knocked Chuck Dunn in a brain with that hoe, like a she-carrots. Chitkitan snorted. Stupid baby. Yes, Sigurd agreed, only relieved to see the boy alive. That was stupid, but we won't do anything like that again. No good, no good. Chitkitan totted from her basket-like rocking chair by the cook fire. A pair of little ones, cute as naked rats, brought warmed milk to all three of them and stared at Sigrid as if she had six heads. Nothing we can do to move the one-eyed one. The westerly ways open into the woman's cold rooms and there's nothing in them but dead things. Chitkitan stopped rocking and looked at Sigrid very seriously. And those are not good eating. Sigrid turned a little paler but could not disagree. If you can't starve her out, maybe you could, I don't know, steal all her swords or her horses. Sigrid tried to imagine what mischief could dissuade an entire army and found herself out of her death. Chitkitan looked sympathetic in a gruff sort of way. No. When angry bodies clatter and stomp, we plug up the ways and wait. They wear themselves down. Always do. Chitkitan continued shrugging. Some will starve, but that's the way. 
That's it then, Sigrid said. You huddle down here and I get overrun by armies? Chitkitan nodded, and the little ones gave her bread a mercenary look. Sigrid stood. Well, that's nonsense. I'm moving down here with you. Gran sniffled from the tiny stool he sat on, looking miserably into his bowl of milk. We all will, Sigrid corrected herself. The armies came just after the harvest and just before the snows. Sigrid counted herself lucky that she had been able to get the barley up in time with the help of the kobolds. Sigurd watched bale after bale disappear down the hole with satisfaction. Groa and the Jarl can grow their own bloody crops. Gran's parents were quite willing, but getting Essia down the hole was another matter. The old cow had a particular distaste for kobolds, and kicked and lowed even as the sound of grinding bones and metal rained down over the valley from Groa's keep. It wasn't until the first frozen outriders on their steeds of shadow and bone came clattering down the road that Essia decided she liked corpses even worse. One frightened step at a time, Sigrid drew the cow down the tunnels to the Undermountain, where her few neighbors had joined more kobolds than she had ever imagined, in tall, wide caves lit with red lanterns. It was dark and it was hot. But when Groa's Nair and the Jarl's soldiers clashed on the fields and foothills, they were safe. Sigrid baked bread and churned sour butter and lost herself in the chores of maintaining a tidy lair. They replaced the sad trapdoor with a sturdier one from her farmhouse, mere days before the building was razed to the ground. It was into the second or third week of spring once the snows clogging the passes had turned to glacier blue streams and the first crocuses and merryweathers had really started to paint the hills that Sigurd discovered Ogmund in the ruins of their home. She was in the habit of coming to the surface at least once a day, ostensibly to draw water from the well, but truly to enjoy some sun. Lifting her old back door off the hole and climbing into her fields, she often felt as if she were still at home. She hid behind the well's walls when she first heard the rumbling vibrations of his voice, thinking it was the Jarl's men around again to press people into service. But when she recognized the rhythm of a single voice weeping, she crept out and made for the remains of the old house. Ogmund was seated on the stone hearth with his back to her, crying rather noisily in full armor of burnished steel. Sigrid didn't think there was any way she could tactfully interrupt him without embarrassing him, so she got straight to the point. Ogmund, she cried, what on earth are you doing? The big man leapt to his feet and drew his longest sword, the two-fisted beast he wore strapped to his back. She could see the whites of his eyes from twenty paces as he realized what he was looking at. Sigrid? He said, confused. You're alive? Well, yes, I'm there, there. Sigrid started as Ogmund swept her up in a fierce hug 
trying to return the embrace without pinching herself on his armor. Yes, yes, I'm alive, I'm alive. Good lord, woman! When Ogman pulled back, he still had tears in his eyes, but he grinned like a madman. Sigurd could see he'd lost several teeth, but had them replaced with gold. Why didn't you come to the capital? Or send word? As my wife, you might have stayed with Prince. I've been just fine here, Ogmund. Sigurd cut him off. I've been staying uh, with the neighbors. Essia's there too. Ogmund looked confused, so she narrowed her eyes and reminded him. My cow... Anyway, Groa tells me the Jarl's about ready to surrender the valley to her, so I... Groa? Ogman interrupted. Groa, one eye, Groa, elf-touched Groa, who has emptied the bowels of Halheim. Yes, yes, Sigurd said impatiently. You remember Groa, she was at our wedding, Ogmund. Groa has been here... Ogmund still looked as if he'd been hit on the head with a boot. No, I'm afraid she can't leave the keep these days. I've been up, though, to bring her bread and milk when there's extra. She's really got nobody to... You have been in the hell fort? Ogmund really looked as if he needed to sit down, so Sigurd fetched a stool which wasn't too badly burned. The prince is sending a legion of his fair guard to the Jarl to march on the Hellfort in a fortnight. I was going to go with them. I thought I needed to avenge you. Ah, Sigurd said, reevaluating her week's plans. Well, I have no need to be avenged. You could go along or not, I suppose. I won't stop you. No, Sigrid, Ogman said, regaining his composure. No, you have to come with me back to the capital. The valley isn't safe. I have bought a manor in the city, an estate supported by 2,000 acres on the south shore. You will live well there, Sigrid. I live just fine here, Ogmund. Sigrid stepped back and planted her hands on her hips. Leave the valley? She couldn't even think of it. Ogmund looked confused. He glanced about the burned and salted landscape while his mouth worked out the words. But Sigrid, he finally said, standing and taking her little hand in his great big ones. There's nothing left, he paused. Who did you say you were staying with again? If you must know, Sigrid said, avoiding eye contact. I'm staying with the kobolds. A succession of competing demeanors took hold of Ogmund. Sigrid watched as confusion, alarm, confusion again, and then a moment of panic played over her husband's features, then helplessness and finally anger. He dropped her hands and tightened his great fists around his sword's hilt instead. Kobolds, he hissed, face reddening. You've been captured by kobolds. Not captured, Ogmund. Don't be dense. Sigrid folded her arms over her chest and braced herself for the storm. Ogmund turned purple. You have been living with kobolds. Ogmund raised his voice. And you'd rather stay with them than live in a manor with me? Oh, Ogmund, Sigurd sighed. This isn't about you. I will kill them all. 
Ogman thundered, gripping his sword and taking off for the verge of the woods. I will not lose my wife to kobolds. Ogmund, Sigrid called, hiking her skirt and starting after him. You stop this instant, Ogmund! Did you hear me? If you harm one red hair on their heads, I'll never speak another word to you. Do you hear? They've ensorcelled you! Ogmund raged, casting his eyes about for something to hit. Groa, one eye has cursed you. I'll free you, my love. They will rue the day they meddled in the affairs of Ogmund Ironbreaker. Ogmund what? Ogmund, nobody has put any bloody pox on me. Would you stop a minute? The big warrior had crossed the salted fields in a half dozen paces and was searching the verge for tracks. Sigurd's boot got stuck in the half-melted spring mud. She considered leaving it behind. Ogmund, she called. Stop! The urgency in her voice made him look up, and the look on his face plucked a string in her heart. He was lost, betrayed, confused, and upset. Though his hair was greyer and his teeth fixed with gold, though his chest plate could have been sold to buy half the farms in the county and his sword the other half, she saw the man who could never remember to close the cow pen and the man who couldn't reach the buttons on his jerkin without her help. The man who loved her lamb stew to reckless indulgence and the man who was so proud each and every time he brought home a boar as if he hadn't gone hunting three thousand times in his life. The man who kept coming back for her, month after month, year after year, though she was sure he could have had his pick of foreign princesses and wild-eyed courtesans. Ogmund, her husband. Ogmund, please, she begged. I'm stuck. She tried to haul her foot out of the mire with dignity and half slipped instead, dropping to one knee with a decidedly undignified squeak. She was so consumed trying to get up again without soiling her entire outfit that she didn't notice Ogman come to her side. She took his thick forearms out of habit, holding tight as he hauled her bodily to her feet. After another moment's struggle with the stuck boot, she pulled her bare foot out and slipped into him, snagging her hair on the buckles of his armor. There you go, he said gently, setting her more or less right on one foot. Sigurd hopped a couple of times and laughed despite herself. When she looked into his eyes, he was smiling too. Please come with me, Sigurd he said softly. Sigrid set her jaw and smiled again. Sadly, this time. No, Ogmund, she replied. I don't want to. I don't belong in the city. But you don't belong under the mountain either, Ogmund pleaded. I certainly don't. No, you don't, Sigrid said apologetically. You've gone on to great things. I'm very proud of you, Ogmund, but I want to live here. The kobolds are quite sensible once you get used to them, and I... I can manage without you.
Ogman swallowed thickly and looked grieved, but seemed to understand her. He wordlessly picked her up and carried her over the rest of the field to the verge, where he followed her prince back to the solid wooden door in the ground. He put her down there and stood back uneasily. I can build you a house here, Zigrid, he offered. You don't have to live in a hole. After the war is over, Sigrid agreed, nodding. And you can always come visit. Ogmund stiffened, his frown lost in his beard. Then he nodded too. I could, he conceded. Then he looked at the door. I don't think I could fit down there. You're very big, Ogmund, Sigrid said, stepping off the door so he could open it for her. But I am very small. She stepped into the darkness of the tunnel and let the door snap shut behind her. And welcome back. You're very big, but I'm very small. What a line. Whenever I read a new story or get to know the world and the characters, it's fun to consider how my friends and I might fit in it. Would we be good guys or bad guys? Would we stand up for what's right or go running at the first sign of trouble? The author herself said, could you imagine trying to live in a fantasy role-playing game? I mean, really just, like, carve out an existence? Trolls under every bridge, necromancers raising all your loved ones, unpronounceable horrors in every cave? I mean, what would you do if you had kobolds in your garden? I think it makes for an absurdly hilarious way of life, and it was a delight to write. I love an epic battle between good and evil as much as the next guy, but as I learn more and read more, the specters of tax law, bureaucracy, and the complexities of human relationships loom larger in the fantasy. When I was a preteen, when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I didn't really have an answer. So what I would usually say is that I want to wear weird clothes, travel the world, and fight monsters. And that's a totally viable way to live, as long as you're a little bendy about what weird means, and what fighting monsters means. It's time for us to fly, but on behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, our slushers Arunjiwa, Aidan Doyle, Matt Dovey, Eleanor Wood, Crystal Claxton, Raj Gopal, Stephanie Cox, and Stephen Caps, our audio engineer Peter Wood, our forum moderator Aussie Cat, and your co-editors Jen Albert and Khalida Muhammad Ali, thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another story. Until then, this is assistant editor Satsu Uzume reminding you that fiction isn't a lie. It's another way of looking at the truth. <laughs> <laughs>